This is the Personal Profitability Podcast with Eric Rosenberg. Profiteers, welcome to episode 71 of the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg, and today we will be interviewing guest Buck Joffrey, who is a former brain surgeon. Now he is primarily focused on his investments. But before we dive into that, I thought that was kind of an interesting path to take in life and something that actually happened in my life as well. So you know, when you are a kid and in high school and college, there are so many different you know, avenues and doors ahead of you. You could really be almost anything, whether you want to be, you know, as a kid, we always say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Did you want to be an astronaut or a policeman or a fireman or a doctor? There's so many things we wanted to be. And as you go into high school, you get a better idea. And when you get into college, you know, at 18, 19, 20 years old, the system tells you this is the time you have to pick what you really want to be when you grow up. And you might not really be ready. You might not know exactly what you want to be when you grow up. And I was actually pretty certain I knew what I wanted to be. I, uh, I, I went to business school. I knew I wanted to do something in business. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do finance or marketing. And after doing all the intro classes, I decided finance was my thing. I went and got a finance degree, worked, worked at a bank after that, uh, then went and got an MBA in finance. So I really doubled down on this whole managing money thing in my education. I worked in corporate finance and accounting for a decade. But along the way, I discovered that I liked a different avenue of finance and shifted my career. And now I'm a finance writer, a personal finance writer, among other things that I write about. So I thought I was going to be sitting in the corporate world for years and years in, in my career. And now I'm doing something totally different. I'm recording this in a home office and I have not gone into to a corporate office in over a year. It's been almost a year and a half. And that is similar to what our guest today did. So Buck Joffrey, it was a brain surgeon and you cannot accidentally become a brain surgeon. My sister is a surgeon. She's a general surgery resident now. And just what she has gone through to get to this point in her career as a second year resident has been mind blowing to me, the amount of work she's had to do. She's had to work so hard through college and then through uh, medical school, just getting into med school is harder than getting any job I've ever seen. Now she is working these crazy long days. And this is just to be a general surgeon. So after that, if you want to specialize in something, which my sister will likely specialize, but uh, our guest today, Buck, he specialized and became a brain surgeon. That takes years of additional fellowships and training and teaching. And you know, that's not exactly what he's doing today. He decided that he was more into money and he since wrote a book about personal finance. So I won't tell you his whole story. We will let him tell you the story himself and we will dive in right after this quick message. It used to be that when I wanted to review all of my personal finances, I had to log into websites from different banks, investment companies, lenders, credit card companies, all sorts of financial institutions to see a complete picture of my finances. But that's not a problem anymore thanks to Personal Capital. With Personal Capital, I can log in and in one handy dashboard, I can view all of my banks, credit cards, investments, and every other account in one place. Plus, it gives me insights into how I earn money and how I spend each month so I can optimize my income and cash flows to best suit the needs of my family. But there's more. There's some great free tools like the 401k and mutual fund analysis tool that I use to save $300 every year on mutual fund fees. And that's money back 
back in my pocket. Now the best part is most of these tools are totally free. You can sign up for personal capital with no charge and only pay if you decide you want to work with a professional financial advisor to help manage your money. But if you want to do it yourself, you can sign up for free and use all of these great tools. To get started, head to personalprofitability.com slash personal capital. That's personalprofitability.com slash personal capital. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, I'm excited to welcome our next guest, Buck Joffrey. And something extra fun about us is we're only about a half hour drive apart. He just moved to Santa Barbara recently, and I am, as you all know, down in Ventura. So we're both sharing the same beautiful beach and wonderful weather down here. So welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Eric. So tell us, how did your you know, interest and excitement about investing in personal finance begin? So my background is as a physician. I finished my training around 2008, and that was right around the time where everything had uh, melted down. And uh, frankly, I had never even thought about money. Uh, I was just used to being a poor resident in San Francisco, and you know where you know I was making about forty five, fifty thousand dollars a year in San Francisco. That didn't go very far. When I got my first job out of residency, I I took. A, a huge jump in terms of how much money I was making, but that was right. I mean, literally, just as everything hit the fan, and so it opened my eyes to the idea of, well, gosh, you know, I mean, I, I, I probably should uh, think more about how to invest this newfound money that I have, and not just kind of follow the lemmings. And right around that time, I'd read this, uh, you know, Kiyosaki, one of the purple books, the Cash Flow Quadrant, and that really opened my eyes. My dad, had, uh, my dad is a been a real estate investor for about 50 years, and I always ignored it, had no interest in it whatsoever, but all of a sudden I got interested in that. And um, the rest is history. I mean, I think I made a decision that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and so I started my own practice and turned it into a business, phased myself out, did that a couple times with a few different businesses, sort of became a serial entrepreneur, and then uh, decided I was going to invest the same way instead of just handing my money over to somebody else and letting them make decisions. So obviously, a medical school is a massive educational endeavor. My sister's actually a, a resident right now, so I'm seeing how in surgery. So I'm seeing a very similar path to what you went through. And something I've noticed along the way in the decade plus of schooling is there's not a whole lot of training or learning about money, but there's obviously something you could draw out of you know, learning how to be a doctor that applies to your financial management. Did you find any lessons that overlapped along the way? Not really. And it's not just medical school. I, th I think doctors are notoriously bad at investing in, with their money in part because we're the only ones who take the Hippocratic Oath. I think people uh, are generally very trusting and, and just assume that you know when you invest with somebody, they have the best of intentions the same way you would have with your own patients. So I think that's what makes doctors a lot worse. But I'll tell you, I know plenty of folks in, in in different professions, highly trained professionals that, you know, nobody really, there's no real good formal training for this stuff. And I think part of it is understanding that you actually have to make an effort. You know, I think Wall Street, and I'm, I have a fairly negative uh, view on Wall Street and, you know, the equity markets and uh, how those work. They would prefer that you not have any education and that you just hand your money over to a wealth advisor and, and, and not educate yourself because that puts them in a position where they can tell you something and you can, can just listen to them and just assume they're right. So I, I think that 
from any perspective, from any high paid professional who's not focusing on investing their own money, I think we have the same challenges. But the good news is typically if you're a high paid professional, if you're a, you know, if you're a highly trained professional, you've got enough brain capacity uh, that, that you can teach yourself this stuff and it won't take nearly as long as it will to become a doctor, a lawyer, accountant, whatever. What strategies, you know, did you pick up along the way? I mean, it sounded like you avoided what you what your dad was doing, but I um, have, have since learned lessons from there. But along the way, what did you pick up that has been the most useful in learning how to manage your money? Well, you know, I, I think part of the lesson for me was is uh, is trying to read as much as I could and try to figure out where my own personal philosophies investing resonated with. And so obviously having been uh, influenced somewhat with from Robert Kiyosaki, who had had a chance to meet uh, last April and, and, you know, he, he really did change my perspective. And it wasn't that I was just going to go out there and be a real estate investor. That was not my intention. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to invest in things that generally were tangible because what I had seen from people around me and experienced and the perspective that I had from my own father was that generally when you're investing, there's two kinds of risk. There's you know more of a systemic risk and then there's localized risk. And systemic risk is looking at let's let's a good example of that would be, you know, the equity markets and the stock market in general. Let's just say Lehman Brothers goes down. Everything goes down around it. Right. That's systemic risk. It's just being a, having too much exposure uh, to to other failures uh, in the economy, and to a certain degree, you can't avoid those. But but if you have invested yourself into real assets, into things that you can control, for example, I mean the best type of you know best thing I think just to explain this is real estate. You know I invest fairly heavily in multifamily real estate either as a sponsor myself or in syndications that others are doing. And the value of those apartment buildings may go up and down, but typically the rents that people pay, they don't go up and down. So I have a fairly steady cash flow. And if you want to sell something, well, I guess you time the market, you know, you can time it when, when things are up. But that's very different than having all your money in, in, a, in stocks where the only thing you're relying necessarily on is the value of the stock. Now, people may say, well, dividend stocks are different. Well, yeah, but they're only paying out like 2 or 3%. Whereas, you know, with, with uh, say, multifamily real estate apartment buildings, I'm, I mean, if I'm getting less than 10%, it's a failure. Yeah. So wouldn't you, when you started, you know, one of the biggest hurdles people face when getting into real estate investing is coming up with that first chunk of cash to put a down payment. And especially today, you know, a lot of, especially young people are having enough trouble getting the cash together to put a down payment on a primary home. So what was it like for you when you were, it sounds like newly out of medical school, trying to scrounge the cash together to start your first real estate investment? That's a good question. And I think, it, you know, it's one that we, I try to address with my own audience because I do understand that even though that a good chunk of my own audience are high paid professionals and do have access to capital, not everybody has a ton. So here's a few different ways to get involved, because I think people talk about real estate and it's a lot. It's hard for a lot of people to think about how to get involved. You can get involved directly by simply, if you can't afford an apartment building, could you get a, a rental house? Well, maybe not in your market if you live in where we live, right? I mean, Eric, it's really hard to do that. 
But, you know, you can get turnkey rental houses where you don't have to manage it yourself in Memphis, Tennessee or, or you know, or in Alabama. And these properties might be going for, you know, 50 grand uh, a pop. And in which case you really just need to bring about $10,000 to the table. Obviously, you got to have some capital to invest. Otherwise, you know, you're just. But, but, but my point is that you don't have to have $100,000, necessarily $50,000 sitting around to get involved. You can get involved in, you know, you can get involved with what they call turnkey rental houses, you know, for as little as probably $15,000, $15,000. Now, the next level up, of course, is, okay, you know, maybe you get, maybe you're uh, a young person who's interested in, in buying a multifamily, you know, like a three or four unit building. Well, you could use the, there's FHA financing where you could just put down, I think, three and a half percent on properties like that and rent out. You know, two of them live in one yourself. I, if I could do it over again, I probably would have done that because you only have to live there a year and move out. And the next thing you know, you've got a rental property. The other ways you can do this, you can obviously, if you don't want to buy something yourself, you can get involved, particularly if you if you do have more money, if you are a higher paid professional in, in things that are called syndications where you are a limited partner in a larger deal. And, you know, I've put together those kinds of deals and we have investors who come in and $50,000 at a time. So there's lots of ways to do it. There's, you know, lots of ways to skin a cat, but I mean, it is a, it, it's a lot more accessible than I think most people think. Yeah, so we've actually, we've had recently a couple of guests who've talked about some of those lower cost properties and we'll link to those in the show notes listeners. Uh, we had one guest who spoke specifically about properties in that, you know, forty fifty thousand $50,000 range that you're discussing. What are your you know, best tips for finding something like that, especially if you live, you know, a thousand or two miles away, like we do from the East coast or the South. Yeah. I mean, I think that the challenge there, I advocate for sort of a community-based investing model. And what I mean by that is my, you know, my show and my audience, what I'm trying to do there is I'm trying to direct people to people I think are competent and trustworthy. It doesn't mean it's a guarantee but a lot of times, the only way to know and the best way to figure out, you know, whether somebody is uh, worth trying out is if somebody else has had success. Now, I have an investor group that's an accredited investor group, but, you know, there's a, a probably about four or five hundred people in there. And a lot of those people do work in the or a lot of them do invest in single family homes and you use turnkey. Even though I don't invest in single family homes, I frequently hear the same names of turnkey providers over and over again that do a good job. So I think. I think that's probably it. I mean, I think there's plenty of resources and forums, et cetera, that you can go on. But I think the best way is is just knowing somebody else who's invested with somebody who's had good luck. Well, that's great advice. Thank you. So for you know the multifamily homes, when you moved on to the next step, what were some of the challenges that you came across? And did you have any kind of fun stories that, that come to mind of interesting situations at your properties? When I first learned a little bit about investing in real estate, and I did that, frankly, I just, you know, I read Ken McElroy's ABC's, you know, real estate and it kind of followed step by step. And Ken, Ken, since then, I've, I've actually been lucky enough to kind of get to know him. He's just, you know, the best guy ever. And he's really, really smart. But I mean, I use those. I use it step by step and tried to start identifying multifamily buildings because I went straight to multifamily buildings. I never did single family houses. And I did the numbers and I always did the numbers right. The things that you can't figure out that are hard to figure out. I mean, the math is easy, right? 
the hard part is understanding the nuances like, well, just because something looks like it's going to yield really good returns doesn't mean you should buy it. You know, I, I learned the kind of the hard way what it meant to manage a, or not manage, but to own a building that was a D class uh, in a D class area in the, in a Chicago suburb. So even though the the property was doing well uh, when I bought it, it turned out that it was extremely difficult for a property management company to take over. And I ended up losing money on that. That was the only real estate deal that I ever lost money on. I lost quite a bit of it. I think I lost, you know, $300,000 on it. But it is also probably, you know, the lessons I learned from that <laughs> are probably worth even more than that. So. So you mentioned D-class property. For those who are you know, new to the world of property investing, what does that mean? When you talk about real estate, uh, residential real estate, we usually talk about A, B, C, and D-class. A-class is where you you got really high-end people who are renting. You know, they could easily buy a house. You know, it's the fancy kind of stuff, right? The B-class is... And, and and the other thing is physically those properties typically are a little bit newer or brand new rehabs or whatever. Um, and they're in what they call A-class areas, which is, again, you, you know, you can look, you can think of those areas in your own area where you live. You know, obviously in Santa Barbara and Montecito, most of it is A-class, right? So B-class would be sort of the next step down. So, I mean, if you've got people who are just out of college, maybe they're making decent money and they can't afford the ritziest place, but they go down the next level and it's still a real nice place. C class is um, C class is a little bit more working class now. That's more blue collar, but it is not usually the kind of place that you can't collect rents. I mean, you may have a lot of blue collar workers that they're hardworking people. They just, it's what they can afford and they have to live somewhere and they can't necessarily afford to buy a house. And finally, D class is, uh, the worst, right? It's no, the, the crowd is sort of the no, no credit, no money crowd. And, um, and I think, uh, to a certain degree, section eights follow section eight, uh, housing falls into that sometimes. And, you know, I think it's just a challenge with that demographic. You know, you end up with a lot of evictions, you have people not paying rent, a lot of transients and so on and so forth. And the, and it could be dangerous. It could be dangerous areas too. So. I've met some real estate investors who love Section 8 because, you know, it's so predictable. What has your experience been working with Section 8? I don't do Section 8. Um, you know, I did do it a, a little bit in that first building I bought. But, you know, here's here's the issue I have with Section 8 is that it's government funded. And last I checked, you know, we have a, a 20, we're in about $20 trillion of debt in the U.S., and I think that anything that is funded by the government is is something to be very wary about because it's going to potentially be in the crosshairs of, you know, cuts um, in the future. Now, in reality, Section 8 right now is is not a bad bad gig at all because, I mean, typically they Section 8 is going to pay you even more rent than market rent. That's why a lot of people love it. But I think from from my perspective, I like B and C class. You know, I think people have to live somewhere. It's kind of what I call Maslow level two investing, roofs over your head, not relying on the federal government to pay your bills. And that that's my my perspective. But you're right. A lot of people do like Section 8. I just don't like to feel like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, cuts. There's some big cuts and, you know, the government may decide that, yeah, we're going to keep Section 8. We're just going to cut everything in half. Well, well, good luck with that. Right. So, 
at a point, obviously, you were doing well. You shifted from just being an investor to helping teach other people how to invest in real estate and otherwise. What was that experience like for you? And what was the the moment that brought you into becoming a teacher? When I started getting interested in understanding about you know this whole world of investing outside of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, and what it was all about. And it's not just about real estate. I mean, I've invested in a whole variety of things that you probably didn't even know existed. I got really excited about it. And I talked to anybody who wanted to talk to me about it, just that most people, especially my wife, did not want to talk to me about any of this stuff. I started doing a podcast. And I also started to realize that I, as an entrepreneur, had an opportunity. I had a lot of, I had a lot more time on my hands than most people because I've, I've built my created my lifestyle, built businesses, sort of backed myself out and have had more time to do things on my own. And a lot of uh, a lot of people did start asking, well, how are you doing this? What are you doing? How are you doing this differently? Because I mean, in reality, practice for seven years full time after I don't know how many years of training uh, in med school and college and uh, surgical training. And then I, I stopped practicing. So a lot of people just wondered how I was doing it. And so at the end of the day, I just said, well, okay, well, here's what I'm doing. And I kept telling people the same thing and realized that, you know, there's a lot of uh, high trained, high paid professionals who would love to know some of the information that got me where I am. So that's why I started the podcast. And really, it's uh, it's sort of grown and uh, it's created this community that's a lot of fun for me. And it's really the only thing that I, I, I really, you know, that and, and investing are the two things I really enjoy doing now. So. That's awesome. So if people want to you know, learn more, listen to your podcast, connect with you, where should they go? You know, Wealth Formula Podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, the usual things, YouTube, whatever. Uh, you can also go to wealthformula.com. Wealthformula.com has, uh, there's a, a bunch of downloads and things like that that might be of use. The other thing, uh, th- there is a book, I had a best-selling uh, book on Amazon called Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. You can get that on Amazon or you can get the PDF by going to wealthformula.com. Or you could actually just text 44222, that's 44222, and just type in Wealth Formula, one word, and you'll get that book, that PDF download for free. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. That sounds like a great resource. Everyone be sure to check that out, and we will have links to everything just mentioned in the show notes. So thank you, Buck, for joining us and sharing your story. Well, thanks for having me, Eric. Have a great rest of your day. Well, that's a wrap on this one, my friends. As always, you can jump to personalprofitability.com to check the show notes for this episode. It's personalprofitability.com slash episode 71. And you can find out everything you want to know that we talked about today, links to anything we mentioned and even Buck's book. So make sure to check that out. As always, if you have a few minutes, please leave a review or share it with a friend. That is the only way new people find the show. It really helps me out and it helps them out too. You know, it's all about helping everyone that you know, everyone in your life become more profitable and succeed in their finances. So please do give it a shout out if you have an opportunity and always, you know, you can shout back to me, personal profit, Eric at personal personalprofitability.com or go to personalprofitability.com slash contact and you can hire me or let me know what you think of the show or just say hello let me know if I helped you out I'd love to hear your stories or head to personalprofitability.com slash ask Eric and you can get your question answered right here on an upcoming episode of the show so that's all for this time thanks for sticking around till the end and until next time stay profitable stay profitable